and welcome to Be Dead Source, your home for disappointment. My name's Nathan, your most leftist host. <laughs> My name's Andy, your second host. And I'm Pat, your politically agnostic host. <laughs> I'm just happy you didn't uh, pull Sagittarius out again. Uh, it was never Sagittarius, it was Scorpio. Scorpio. Well, we would have never worked anyway. Just leave your Scorpio in your pants there, pal. Hey. Uh, well, how is everybody doing? Anything happened to anybody this week? Good. So um, my aunt uh, just had surgery on her foot, but she is doing well and is having fun with pain medication. She's kind of loopy still, but she is doing really well. Her Her toes had been growing in kind of crooked I guess that's something that just happens sometimes. Mm -hmm. I think it has to do with like blood circulation. Um, but she's doing really well, so that's great. Happy, happy about that. That's cool. I've been doing. I've been doing all right. I got these couple of. I think I I mentioned this. A couple of friends of mine from college. They're twins, and they just keep posting these like, not they're not intelligent conservative prop like stuff it's like total bullshit stuff and i just it makes me sad and i want them to be smarter they are smart but i want them to use their brains and think about what they're saying and, and like they're the tribalism of our time just really makes me sad for america that's that's kind of where i've been this week I think one of the meanest things I've said on Facebook lately is you can lead a horse to data, but you can't make it think. <laughs> I had just gotten so frustrated with one of the people I was talking to. You can only ask for them to source like, their information a couple dozen times before you just get frustrated. So, yeah, it's listen, I we all have our biases and I'm not trying to say that, like, you know, I have I have conservative lean um to my politics kind of by maybe not a lot but i i lean that way and and i i want conservatism to kind of regain its good name it's really kind of turned into just uh, conservatism is just synonymous with trumpism now and it's a load of nonsense and guys like Ben Shapiro out there hawking their bullshit so that they can sell like supplements. It's Do you it's remember nuts. what I said on the Discord in response to your post about Facebook? Uh part of being a mature person is letting other people be wrong without reacting, without that ruining your day. So people can have their opinions, and they can have really stupid opinions, but that doesn't have to affect you. You choose the degree to which that emotionally upends your day. Yeah, um, I agree with you, and and I wouldn't say that it has in any way like ruined my week, because I've had a good week, I've had a good... I mean, August is starting to pick up a little bit in, in the car sales. Um, the, it started out a little bit flat, which probably kind of put me in a little bit of a bad mood to let 
to, to, to let some of that get to me. But, you know, um, it's just, it's, it's not so much like that they have bad opinions. It's that they shouldn't. They should know better. There are people who have dumb opinions and it's like you can, well, they're exposed to garbage data and they are fed nonsense stories. So it makes sense why, why they have this view that, that it's wrong and I can understand it. But then there's some people who just kind of make the, they, they give that vibe of just, they're not interested in, in being right so much as they're interested in being louder and stuff like that. And it just bugs me. Yeah, they're, they don't want to be right. They want to win. Here's the thing. I'm not gonna, you, you, you say that like, oh, don't let it bother you, but that's, that's one way of being an adult. And that's, I do understand that and I do embrace that sometimes because there are some people who are not gonna understand the, what, you know, if I try to sit them down and explain to them why they're wrong, they're not gonna understand me for any number of reasons. It's not like an intellectual thing. That's just, they're, they're not gonna get what I'm trying to say. But then there are people who, like, they, they are, they, they, they would get it. They, they come from a similar background. They understand the same things I do. They have, you know, these, for instance, these guys, they have, um, they're, they're nurses and doc, uh, they're, they're, <laughs> High up nurses. They're, they're, they're very overqualified, hyper, they're, they're very overtrained. And they post stuff diminishing COVID and, and making, and downplaying COVID. You know, that's a problem. Right. I think it's okay to feel sad that your friends are choosing to be stupid and that they are, in, in my thing, in my case, the thing that makes me sad is that they are either have always been racist and you didn't know they are becoming racist or they at least are willing to apologize for racists. And that happens all the time. Um, so that sucks. Well, yeah. Is it necessarily racist? Did we jump to racist? I thought we were just well, talking about conservative. That's, I mean, they're hand Trump in hand right now. Casting a vote in favor of Trump. I think is what Nathan's kind of going at there. He's a white supremacist, so yes. I would say you you cannot vote for Trump and not be a racist apologist at at best. I only even bring all that up because it's just sort of relevant to what we're going to be talking about and stuff, the political climate and stuff, and it's just important to me. It's a big part of my life is keeping is is Watching and listening to politics and, and what people are saying and, you know, talking about politics. So it, it's something that is kind of center right. in my life. And Pat, I take your point. I think you're absolutely right. You need to know when, like, just to be a healthy person, like mentally, when to walk and away I, from an argument. When I don't when engage with sad. them, by the way. I, right. I mean, I, only on things that are non-political and I'll, I'll make sure to comment on a, just a funny meme that's non-political that they post. Um, and I just kind of keep my mouth shut with the political stuff and just scroll past, but it, it still, you know, it still makes me sad inside. Oh man, that, I wish I could do that. Uh, <laughs> well, but, um, speaking of <laughs> surgeries, uh, 
I'm glad to hear your aunt's doing better, and I hope that my guess is that sounds really painful. So I hope that yeah. helps alleviate some of that pain. My sister had surgery today on her tummy, and then they took a baby out, and I'm an uncle now. So <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'm I'm hey, a, congrats, uncle, a double uncle, a dumb. I I don't know really how to. F- <laughs> I I don't think it's a dunkle. I think, I think that much like being unique, I think a dunkle is not. There are not varying degrees of unclehood. That is probably true. I'm not very uncle. <laughs> so, but I'm very excited. Uh, his name is Milo, and I love that name. And so, yeah, I'm just I'm very excited. His uh, brother Frankie was hanging with my mom back at the house. And was very upset about the whole situation. Although my sister and uh, her wife, Nicole, have, um, well, my sister-in-law, I mean, (laughs) Lexi and Nicole um, ended up telling my other uh, nephew, Frankie, that it was baby day and got him presents and stuff that he gets to open. So he got to be excited about the whole process, too. That's awesome. Yeah. So I'm very excited about that. Oh, that's Um, nice. But what I'm not very excited about is Joseph Biden's pick for vice president. How's that for a transition? So it was announced yesterday, as of when we're recording this podcast, uh, that Joe Biden has selected Senator Kamala Harris as his running mate. And some people are happy about it, and some people are less happy. And I think... The three of us, not to speak for you guys, fall into the less happy camp. So I'm going to level with you. I didn't know who Kamala Harris was before the announcement that she was Joe Biden's running mate. I know she was in the Democratic uh, primaries and in the debates. We might have even talked about her on the podcast. I wasn't really following her story very closely. Well, because she was never going to be president. So I think her claim to fame recently, and it makes this decision interesting, is uh, she smacked Joe Biden around a bit for his previous history of making bad decisions in reference to busing and other like racial issues in his past Mm -hmm. uh, during one of the debates. I'm going to now direct this at Vice President Biden. Um, I do not believe you are a racist, and I agree with you when you commit yourself to the importance of finding common ground. But I also believe, and it is personal, and I was actually very, it was hurtful, to hear you talk about the reputations of two United States senators who built their reputations and career on the segregation of race in this country. And it was not only that, but you also worked with them to oppose busing. And, you know, there was a little girl in California who was part of the second class to integrate her public schools. And she was bused to school every day. And that little girl was me. So I will tell you that on this subject, it cannot be an intellectual debate among Democrats. We have to take it seriously. It's a mischaracterization of my position across the board. I did not praise racist. That is not true. 
number one. Number two, if we want to have this campaign litigated on who supports civil rights and whether I did or not, I'm happy to do that. I was a public defender. I didn't become a prosecutor. I came out and I left a good law firm to become a public defender when, in fact, when, in fact, when, in fact, my city was in flames because of the, the uh, assassination of Dr. King. Number one. Now, number two, as the U.S. as excuse me, as the uh, uh, vice president of the United States, I work with a man who, in fact, we worked very hard to see to it. We dealt with these issues in a major, major way. The fact is that in terms of busing, the busing, I never, you would have been able to go to school the same exact way because it was a local decision made by your city council. That's fine. That's one of the things I argued for, that we should not be, we should be breaking down these lines. But so the bottom line here is, look, everything I've done in my career, I ran because of civil rights. I continue to think we have to make fundamental changes in civil rights. And those civil rights, by the way, include not just only African-Americans, but the LGBT community. But they, Vice President Biden... Do you agree today, do you agree today that you were wrong to oppose busing in America then? No, do you agree? I did not oppose busing in America. What I opposed is busing ordered by the Department of Education. That's what I opposed. Well, I there did was not a oppose. failure of, of states to, to integrate no, public schools in America. I was part of the second it, class to integrate Berkeley, California public schools almost two decades after Brown v. Board of Education. Because your city council made that decision. It was a so local decision. So that's where the federal government must step the, in. The that's why we have the Voting Rights Act and the Civil Rights Act. That's why we need to pass the Equality Act. That's why we need to pass the ERA. And I think one of the reasons they're picking her is, A, she comes across tough, and B, uh, he gets to seem magnanimous that, oh, well, we can go ahead and put our, like, put this stuff behind us. So the most information that I have about her is, so in San Francisco, she was the district attorney, and that meant that she was prosecuting cases in San Francisco. And the little bit that I know about her is that she was uh, very tenacious about getting convictions. And uh, one of her convictions was later overturned. A man was falsely accused and convicted of a crime and spent what like six and a half years in jail yeah that's one of them uh because she did it, it her her office that happened a lot to them and they fought against giving restitution to these people who were in jail falsely imprisoned for years and they fought against giving them any sort of restitution to get their lives back on so track. the first thing that really strikes so me bad. about this story is it's it's a murder case and they had eyewitness testimony, but they only had eyewitness testimony. They didn't have any blood samples, any DNA, any sort of forensic evidence, no, uh, like, scraps of clothing, like, n nothing that you would call hard evidence. And if you are around the criminal justice community, if you're, uh, if you follow, you know, judicial rulings eyewitness ter testimony is notoriously terrible i eyewitness testimony is very unreliable people can be 
convinced that they saw something that they didn't see. Um, the way that police interrogations go, sometimes people will just answer whatever they think that the police want to hear. So it's... Right. And these people often will be dead sure that what they're saying is true. They're not lying. They think that the wrong information that they're giving is, in fact, correct, which makes, like, yeah, eyewitness testimony is real bad. Right, and that's all that they had to convict this guy. It seems like it was just really a, a miscarriage of justice. That's all you can call it. Well, and there are other fun things like she she went out of her way to send a transgender woman to a male prison and then went out of her way to make sure that that person didn't get any of the medical treatment that they needed. Um, it's pretty bad. There's a lot of bad stuff in her history. She One of the big things that she gets criticized for is cracking down on truancy, which oddly enough... Like is disproportionately aggressive towards single parents and, and poor households, families of color, especially in the Bay Area. Um, which she is, she tries, she works like very hard to create this image of fighting for those people, being one of those people, and to to criminalize truancy. You know, you're throwing kids in in prison just because they're skipping school when. You're not fixing the problem. In fact, you're making the problem worse because you're giving these kids a criminal record before they even leave high school now, thus feeding right into that school-to-prison pipeline. Um, it, that's It's horrifying. Fact check. Fact check. Fact check. And welcome back to Fact Check. In the 70s, a growing concern about crime led many schools to adopt zero-tolerance policies and add school resource officers or SROs, also known as COPs, into schools. Even when controlling for poverty, schools with SROs have five times the rate of arrests for disorderly conduct that schools without them do. Almost like bullies with control issues end up applying for these types of jobs, but I digress. Black students are four times more likely to be suspended or expelled as white students are, and students who are suspended or expelled for a discretionary issue are three times as likely to have an encounter with the juvenile justice system the following year. In 2016, in New York City alone, 99% of the students who were handcuffed were black or Latinx. The system of rules and punishments disproportionately affects the poor and people of color and results in arresting students as young as age six for things like not doing their homework, not standing for the Pledge of Allegiance, wearing their hair in braids or afros, or even just crying. Each one of those is from an actual incident that happened. Maybe having police in schools isn't such a good idea. Anyway, let's get back to the show. Back check, back check, back check. This is one of the main problems with the decision is she worked very closely with the police and put people that I can't say for sure she knew were innocent, but I'm pretty sure she knew were innocent in jail. And at the time that we are in our society right now, the perception of police is not great. So, of course, what does the DNC do but put a cop as a lot of people are referring to her in 
the second, mo- like a breath away from the presidency. It's incredibly tone deaf, and it pissed me off. <laughs> I'm just gonna. It pissed me off. Here, royally. Here's what drives me nuts about Democrats: they do moves like this that almost have a trolling vibe to them. Like it's almost like they're trolling the, their own voters. I don't think mm-hmm. I don't think you choose a vice president over trolling, but it, it's important messaging. So, what do you think that messaging means? It's it's like a pivot more towards a uh, you know a pro cop, pro law yeah. and order move, right? And specifically away from the progressive wing of the party that has gotten bigger it, it, and bigger over the last say eight to ten years and is constantly shit on by yeah, the party. The the DNC is flipping the bird to the progressive wing at every opportunity. They the, it, listen, it can be argued that Kamala Harris is a progressive. She I think there's enough evidence to say she's a progressive and enough evidence to say she's a moderate because she's just too flexible either way. She doesn't really have a, a calling card either way. I think it's like the DNC's way of saying like, oh, you want a progressive? How about how about this progressive? Heh <laughs> heh, you. Hmm. So, yes. So, and I'm, I'm giving myself about a day, maybe two, where I get to feel this way. I do think that there is a strategic argument to be made from the DNC's point of view. Because I, as like a lefty, I'm really upset by this decision. But I'm trying to like step outside of it a little bit and try and think about the strategy behind it. I think that the DNC thinks they've got the left wing sewn up. And they don't have to do anything because... The most effective campaign against Trump right now is Trump opening his mouth and saying words. And I think they feel like they've got the people who are going to vote against Trump on the left side already taken care of. I think this might be a way of goading Trump into saying some stuff that will be embarrassing and racist and sexist and you like... Go ahead. I'm sure I'm absolutely positive by the time this podcast actually goes up next Monday, he will have said a number of those things. In fact, anybody remember him calling uh, Hillary a nasty woman? Because he did that to Kamala earlier today, about an hour before we came on, was talking about how she's nasty and she's rude and like all these things that he only says about women. So, but I think there's an argument to be made that they might be able to pull more votes from moderates by picking someone like her. And there's no way that you could put soft on crime on Kamala Harris. You just couldn't. And that is normally one of the conservative, like, dog whistles that they they try and use in these debates. So I, I see their reasoning. I don't agree with it. But I see it at least. I mean, arguably, I think that there's a big, big, big emphasis on the identity politics of it. Um, because, and I say that not just because of, you know, um, her identity. And she's a black woman. She's, uh, I believe. Half Indian. Half Indian. Yeah. That was it. Thank you. And, and the daughter of immigrants, if I understand it correctly. M- yeah. And like, boy has 
the they checked a lot of boxes. They, yay! But that's been what's right at the forefront of most of the reporting. So I could care less who who her parents are or what ethnicity she is. But if we're talking about the liberals, like the liberals have nowhere else to go. The progressive left has no other boat. They have to jump on the Biden boat or they're going to drown. There's nowhere else to go. We're, we're riding with Biden. What do you mean? We're all riding with Biden. Who else are they going to vote for? Howie Hankin or Hawkins? Howie Hawkins? Well, let's go ahead and chat about that for a moment, shall we? Um, I have nothing against the Libertarian candidate. I have nothing against the Green candidate. But let me just tell you, I'm not going to learn either of their names because they don't matter. Howie and Joe. And I'm not saying anything about their politics. I've voted Green in the past, and I'd like to be able to do it in the future if Republicans stop putting up monsters. But the thing is, at the end of this process, November 4th, the president for the next four years is going to be chosen... And it's binary. It's either going to be Biden or it's going to be Trump. So you can go ahead and vote for the Libertarian candidate or you can vote for the Green candidate or whoever you want. But at that point, you've chosen to vote for Trump. And if that's something you're comfortable with, that's okay. I think that's really lamentable that that is the reality. I'm not sure it is. I would absolutely agree with you. Here's the thing. Um, so tell me, tell me in what universe in in this specific election, in what universe voting for one of those candidates will make any difference? So if we got a big enough group of people together to say that we're all going to write in Kanye, you know, enough people could make anything happen. We could we could write in anybody. We could write in Bernie. We could write in, uh, you know. A libertarian, a Green Party candidate, anyone. It's it's about numbers. And right. I think from a certain perspective, what you said is true. I think it's loathsome to say that it's a binary choice. Again, I totally agree with that. It sucks. So, but... If I could answer... Sorry, go ahead, Well, Andy. so to answer your question, right? You said, in what universe... Um, what was the question? This this election year, in in this election mm-hmm. year, what possible difference could it make to vote for a libertarian candidate or a green candidate or pick your third party of choice? Okay. Well, so I guess here's what I would say is that if a third party candidate were to break the threshold of 5% of the national vote. Right. Then that party gets a huge, huge windfall of election camp uh, of campaign funds next time around. It's a big, big, big deal. And five absolutely. And what you were describing is something that would be. I wait real quick. Let me just tell you, never, ever, ever going to happen this time around. I think what you're describing is absolutely possible any other election cycle. It will never happen this time around. What I was just about to say is that I think something like 52% of the eligible voters in the country didn't vote in 2016. I'm going to let you fact check that. Mini fact check. 
In 2016, 136,753,936 eligible voters cast a ballot out of 230,931,921 people who were eligible. That's just over 60%. About 1% of these people didn't cast a vote for U.S. President. Mini fat check. It's a huge, huge, huge portion. There's a mm-hmm. ton of eligible voters who do not see like the people who are voting for say Joe Jorgensen or or Howie Hawkins. I'm gonna force you to learn their names. Not not gonna happen. <laughs> Joey, Jojo, Shabadoo, and Sadie Hawkins. So the people who are voting for those those party candidates are not the ones who are losing an election for either side. When when I cast my vote in Absolutely. 2016 for, for Gary Johnson, I did not add a vote to Hillary's column or to Trump's column. I didn't. That is that is plain no, and simple. There is I agree with you that. You feel that way because you... Like, any Trump voter would have said, oh, you know, you you wasted your vote by not voting for Trump. It's the same thing. You just see it from your side, but no, but from the middle, it's the same damn thing. I didn't add a vote to either of them, and I'm not voting. I'm not. Pl- I'm planning on voting the Democratic ticket. I we can get more into that later, but but I'm never going to sit here and tell someone who can't stomach voting for someone like Joe Biden. Totally reasonable. So if I can hop in real quick. So um, the problem that I really have with the attitude that it is binary, that it is one choice or the other, is a complete lack of self-reflection. It's a refusal to learn from the past. And what I mean by that is you would think that in 2016, after suffering a loss to someone like Donald Trump, that it would be a time for the Democrats to really take a look at their party and say, do we need to change? Are we out of touch with America? Is there something that needs to be done better? And I just see a complete lack of that kind of self-awareness. I feel like that nothing has been learned, that we haven't moved yeah. forward at all from 2016. We're having 2016 You're absolutely again. right. Because that's the thing. You you won't hear me try and defend the Democratic Party in these arguments because I'm not going to. I think uh, their political choices are often short-sighted. I think that we, if they had embraced Bernie... The last time around, even like Hillary was Hillary was going to get the nomination in 2016. I'm I'm very sure of that. But if they hadn't gone out of their way to uh, shill for Hillary the last time around and embraced Bernie and brought him more in, you would have a much bigger Democratic Party right now. You'd have a younger, more vibrant, more progressive Democratic Party. The other thing you won't hear me do is I'm not hitting on people who voted for, like, even who voted for Trump in 2016, much less people who voted for a third party. Same thing, I have not hit on anybody who voted for George W. Bush in 2000. However, anybody who votes for a third party or Trump or in 2004 voted for, let's say, 
the Green Party or the Libertarian Party, fuck them. That is loathsome because you know what this man is now. It is not okay to not vote him out. And that is my first so and I, last... I strongly, strongly disagree with your sentiment there. Okay. The... The idea that you would make a protest vote or that you're undecided at this point and that you might go with a green or libertarian candidate would be saying, like, you know, maybe you registered as a Democrat in the past. Maybe you registered as a Republican in the past. It would be saying, I want something different. I want something else. I think people are free to use their votes in that way and to insinuate that that is helping Trump to get elected. I I don't think that that's true. And it helps Trump exactly as much as it helps Biden. And I, I think that it's you should vote your conscience. You should vote somebody that you feel good about casting a vote for at the end of the day. No, I I mean, I can't disagree more because right now it's I'm not going to be voting for Joe Biden. I'm not going to be voting for Kamala Harris. I'm be voting against Donald Trump. And any person with any sense of ethics or who can read or who gives a shit about the country or the planet, for that matter, should do the same okay. thing. I'm glad you said that because here's what my litmus test has been. And, and, I, and I, you'll recognize this because I asked you. Go with me, hypothetical land. But if, let's, do if, it. let's say the, the Democratic ticket, the Democratic Party just completely combusts and falls apart, everybody's bickering, nobody is going to vote for Biden anymore, and the whole thing is scrap, right? And everybody's going into either, and I'm going to say, for the sake of because they are further from your political ideology, it makes the point, I think, more. Let's say all these Democrats are getting lining up behind Joe Jorgensen. She's a woman. She's... Yeah, she's a libertarian, but she's pretty moderate. She's definitely a very, like, oh, I'll work with you, I'll work with you kind of person. Everybody kind of says, you know what, Let's we're going to vote for her. Are you going to vote for her, or are you hanging on to Joe Biden? Oh, absolutely, yeah, for sure. And Who, I know, you answered, you said, no, I'm on board. Whoever, and, and this is where I'm right. at, like, when I say that I'm I want to vote against Trump, what I mean is, when... It's time for me to cast my ballot. The the whoever is the highest that isn't named Trump is getting my vote. I'm hundred percent just going with the pack on whoever is just to throw my Absolutely. my lot in with voting him out. I don't care who it is. I honestly, you could just show me the polls and give me like the first two letters of their name. So that I can identify them on the ballot. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> I don't care who I'm voting right. for exactly. as long as it's not Donald Trump. And I think Trump. that and any other... I swear to God, well, guys. Any <laughs> other... Like if Ted Cruz suddenly runs, I'm not going to vote for him either. <laughs> if if it's Ted Cruz or Donald Trump, call me. I'm cruising with Cruz at that point. <laughs> which, oh God. The Zodiac Killer. Can we, there's our stinger right, right there. But, our flintel. <laughs> <laughs> but... The, the tweet that I think summed up how I'm feeling right now is it was it was something along the lines of, yeah, a a Biden Harris ticket isn't going to make me not vote Biden. A Biden Trump ticket wouldn't make me not vote Biden. You know, like if Biden chose Trump as his running mate, 
I would still vote Biden Trump because it mean less Trump. So if I can take the opportunity, I, I would like to read this quote from one of my favorite authors, Hunter S. Thompson. Uh, How many more of these stinking double downer side shows will we have to go through before we can get ourselves straight enough to put together some kind of national election that will give me and the at least 20 million people I tend to agree with a chance to vote for something instead of always being faced with that old familiar choice between the lesser of two evils? And that is from 1972 from his book, Fear and Loathing on the Campaign Trail. 1972, we were having this problem of instead of being able to vote for someone that we're in this emergency and you have to vote against the loathsome, we seem to like that word today, the loathsome other guy who is threatening to get into office. Like, I don't think this is a new problem. No. Yeah, no, the answer to Mr. Thompson's question is at least one more. (laughs) Well, Uh, I mean, you could say that for 50 years. They have been saying it for 250. uh, Yeah, and that's exactly what what has happened. There are actually even... That problem dates itself all the way back to Athens, ancient Athens, where they... Literally would, I mean, they would, they would campaign as like, I'm not that guy. I mean, it's not, this is as old as democracy itself. Right. I don't think that that's a good justification for people who vote green and people who vote libertarian are voting for Trump. Like that's, we're not living in that kind of binary world. And again, any other year I would say, sure. But we're we now have a guy who is an open racist in in the Oval Office. We have a guy. I mean, uh, what we're going to be doing in the next few weeks when I can pull my stuff together is we're going to have an episode about all of the dangers that Trump brings to the table. So I could talk for an hour here about the reasons why he's a bad guy. I I don't think this is an exceptional year. I think this is the same danger that there always is. I think we're always in a state of emergency all the time. Then you are nuts. You are nuts. For example, you say that there's an open racist in the White House and like, yeah, for sure. But also like that's also describes like 30 out of 45 presidents. No, no, it doesn't. I mean, certainly not in this, not in this case. Not not in this way. And I would love for you to provide me some of that evidence. Do you think it was an emergency to defeat uh, George Bush? Do you think it was an emergency to yes. defeat Mitt Romney? Do you think it was yeah, George, an emergency? Well, Mitt Romney was never president. George W. Bush, the second time around, absolutely. It was absolutely an emergency because he's a war criminal and was a war criminal and killed hundreds of thousands of innocent civilians. So, yes. Hell of a painter, though. Do you think it was an emergency to defeat McCain? Uh, well, again, he was never president. So, no. I mean, I think, like I said, I I don't begrudge people voting in 2000 or 2016, which I think were when the two worst presidents in American history were elected for the first time. Because we, we didn't know. You you had an, an honest reason. I understand people who in 2016 were just like, pulled the pin and threw the grenade into the political system because they didn't like what was there and they thought Trump would shake it up. I absolutely get that. 
Now you've seen what he's done. It is bad in every conceivable way. He is the worst president in like U.S. history by a good margin. And there are other presidents who have owned people. So take that in consideration. And and the Democrats have taken four years to improve not one iota, to self-reflect none. They went. They did change direction and go back towards the old white man pillar. You know. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm on board with you, Pat. I think you're absolutely right. The DNC sucks. Like they're they're terrible. Their decisions are terrible. I have now like the the fun thing that I get to vote for is my second to last choice in the presidential campaign because Mike Bloomberg and my last choice in the vice presidential campaign. And that's who I get to vote for. And you know what? I'm going to do it with a skip in my step as I mail it in because I'm not going in person because that's terrible. Just a sidetrack because you kind of alluded to it. There were a bunch of other candidates for the VP that were brought up. Who was your who was your top pick? Who did you want? Stacey Abrams. Yeah, Lincoln. why? Stacey Abrams. Uh, she she had the the right qualifications. She had the right type of... I mean, she matched up to my politics a lot. It would have made a big statement. Um, she also had the... Like, clearly they were looking for an African-American woman, which I have no problem with. I think that was a good, a good way to go, especially considering how many qualified women there were. I'm just happy it wasn't Amy Klobuchar. Because uh, like, I like I made that uh, like home run call a while back, and I think um, the George Floyd protest changed that fundamentally. Um, yeah. But no, Definitely. like Stacey Abrams was an advocate for the people that I care about, and I think the people who don't have many advocates, and I, I loved her. I loved mm-hmm. her. So I didn't expect to get her, and I didn't like know who else would have been a good choice, but I had to say that, that Kamala I Harris, was, she was my last choice. Yeah. Well, uh, she was my second to last choice, I guess, sort of counting Klobuchar in there. Cause f- you, Mike Bloomberg. I think, um, you know, Klobuchar, I think, listen, uh, he could have picked Hillary. Um, <laughs> that would have been worse. I mean that like nasty woman. The nice thing about that is it at least shows that the DNC isn't like quite as tone deaf as it could be. Right. Um, I think uh, I, I, there were a couple that were high on my list in particular. One was Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms in Georgia. Um, she's the mayor of Atlanta. I think that she has been pretty phenomenal through the uh, through the pandemic. Especially in combating the Georgia governor, who is a like utter trash, and monster. can like yeah, he's he's a murderous monster. He literally banned any cities in Georgia from mandating masks. They weren't allowed to mandate masks. That's how much he wanted his people to die. Fact check, fact check, fact check. And welcome back to Fact Check. On July 15th, Georgia Governor Brian Kemp chose to ignore the science about COVID-19 and fall lockstep behind President Trump when he banned mayors 
in cities around the state from issuing mandates that required people to wear masks in public. After this decision, the state had several huge spikes of COVID-19 infections and deaths, leading Governor Kemp to rescind the order a month later on August 15th. He issued a new order that didn't restrict cities from issuing mask mandates, but also didn't involve a mandate itself. This new order only lasts until the end of August, so I'm sure we'll have COVID taken care of by then. Anyway, let's get back to the show. Fact check, fact check, fact check. So, anyway, that. Um, and, and she, I thought she was fantastic. Uh, she's really shined this in, in, during this pandemic. Someone else that I'm fond of, I don't know if she would have been the best pick. Um, I think, you know, Keisha Lance Bottoms, you get, you get a much better olive branch for the progressives. She's much more progressive. She's much more, um, likable. I think you get a lot of, progressives who were ready to not vote Biden back in in the camp with Keisha Lance Bottoms. I don't think that this woman really quite does that in the same way. Um, but I'm, I think she's an, a rising star, we should say. Tammy Duckworth, Senator Tammy Duckworth from Illinois. Yes. Um, she's a badass. She's a war vet, a pilot. Um, she's, she lost her, both of her legs in combat. Um, and I would love to see her just MMA style rumble with Trump. Uh, <laughs> she's badass. And, um, I, I think that she has, a. am looking forward to see what she does. Um, I don't know if I really would have put her with Biden, but someone else, by the way, that no, I don't I mean... know a lot about, but was intriguing was Susan Rice. She was a former national security advisor, so she has some, you know, Washington, some federal experience, uh, some foreign right. experience. She was interesting, but she never she never made it very high on the list, so she didn't get a lot of attention. Hard to hang soft on crime on her, which I think it, there is yeah. a, certainly value to picking Kamala. Or I want to be clear, I think, uh, like, I, I call Joe Joe a lot. I've seen a lot of people calling Kamala Kamala, but calling uh, Joe Biden, Mr. Biden or former vice president. And I think there's a lot of sexism in there. But uh, yes, I'm calling Kamala Kamala because I called Joe Joe. Pat, are so you what like, I see is one of the I was just going to ask if you were furiously uh, trying to Google candidates for vice president. Well, no. I mean, I I'm not going to pretend to know that much about the the potential Democratic vice president. Sure. But um, one of the positive things that I will say about Kabbalah, and I'm not really that big on demographics. I don't think demographics really say that much about who you are. Right. But having said that, I am glad that a young person has been chosen for the vice presidential candidate. I think when you're looking at, <laughs> you know, we've got Trump who's 70-something, Biden who's also 70-something, like, the president is going to be somebody that is at least 70 years old or older. Yeah, Elizabeth I mean, Warren is in her, I think she's in her 70s too. I'm going to do a fact check right here of everybody's ages. Mini fact check. At the start of his presidency, Donald J. Trump was seven years old, making him the oldest president in U.S. history. 
The second oldest was Ronald Reagan, who at the start of his presidency was 69. Nice. Joe Biden, if elected, will become the oldest president in U.S. history by a wide margin at 77 years old. Kamala Harris is only 55 now. Bernie Sanders is 78 years old. Elizabeth Warren is 71. And Pete Buttigieg is older than the stars themselves. U.S. politics is super old right now. Mini fact check. So there are practical matters, right, about health and being able to lead the country and just being strong for America. But there's also, um, you know, young people's voices are very often not heard in politics. Young people demographically tend to not vote as much as older demographics. Um, I think it's a breath of fresh air. Having said that, I mean, you know, if there are questions about her character, if there are questions about, like, what kind of policies she is going to push for as vice president, I mean, that might be a mixed bag. But I think it is... It is at least a good thing to bring somebody that's young into Washington. Um, I like to see that rather than somebody else who is 70 plus years old taking the vice presidential seat. Now, I will say Kamala is 55. So she's still like, she's got some mileage on her, but. Um, oh, I thought I, she was way younger than that. Yeah, no, she's mid 50s. She's born in 64. Oh, but, well, I take back everything I said, I guess. <laughs> um, um, besides yeah, the presidential think, election, well, well, sorry, what were you going to say? No, I was just going to say, I I agree with your sentiment, though. I think we can certainly use, and here's the thing, you're still right, because she beats everybody else on the ticket by at least 15 years, if not 20, for some of them, so... Like, compared to the other people that she's interacting with, the other same people at that same level, she's absolutely younger than the average by a significant margin. So I still think your point holds water. Yeah, I mean, I would have rather seen somebody like Pete Buttigieg or Andrew Yang or, you know, somebody who's younger but also whose policies I'm more in line with. Right. Yeah. Can we really quickly... Um, I so I know that you are whatever we we, are, we already talked about you know other party candidates. We did come up earlier in our discord chat, and so I just want to quickly cover it. There are besides um, you know Democrat and Republican, we already talked about the libertarian and green candidates. There's just a couple others on the on the um, slate right now, so I can go through them really quickly. Um, the Constitution Party has put up Don Blankenship. There's Rocky de la Fuente of the Alliance Party. Gloria La Riva of the Party for Socialism and Liberation. I don't know anything about those two parties. I don't know what they're all about at all. Um, and I wish I could say that I knew who any of those people yeah, were. Yeah, neither. Uh, one more, last one. Rapper Kanye West, who is affiliated with the Birthday Party. According to Wikipedia, the birth, the birthday party. He's affiliated with the Republican Party. He, so, yeah. Uh, the the Republican Party are using a man with mental issues to try and 
take uh, African-American votes away from Democrats, which it's fine. Like, I, I'm not going to argue with that. If Kanye feels like it's important for him to be on the ballot, then so be it. I don't know if I want to be the one who's defending Kanye, but mental issues is a little unfair. He's unmedicated, and he has bipolar disease, as far as I know. Fact check, fact check, fact check. And welcome back to Fact Check. Kim Kardashian came out in July to speak about her husband's mental state. Quote, as many of you know, Kanye has bipolar disorder. Anyone who has this or has a loved one in their life who does knows how incredibly complicated and painful it is to understand. I've never spoken publicly about how this has affected us at home because I'm very protective of our children and Kanye's right to privacy when it comes to his health. But today, I feel like I should comment on it because of the stigma and misconceptions about mental health. Those that understand mental illness or even compulsive behavior, know that the family is powerless unless the member is a minor. People who are unaware or far removed from this experience can be judgmental and not understand that the individual themselves have to engage in the process of getting help no matter how hard family and friends try. This is the man that Republicans are using and abusing to take votes away from Democrats. But it seems to have backfired on them in that polls show that roughly 2% of voters are interested in the Kanye campaign, and those voters come overwhelmingly from independents and Republicans, not from Democrats. Anyway, let's get back to the show. Back check, back check, back check. He has selected a vice presidential candidate michelle tidball a christian preacher from wyoming so here's a number of options if you want to throw your votes away everyone yeah al jazeera al jazeera describes his politics as having a republican leaning pro-black religious platform Hmm. so that's certainly a niche (laughs) let me just tell you if he gained a lot of traction and seemed like he was more popular than joe biden uh, vote for Kanye. Do not care. <laughs> Literally anyone anyway, else. Uh, uh, it's, it's just fun to go, I, down, go down the list a little bit. Kanye's so, but the other thing, so separate. the other thing I wanted to talk about, if we could, is I am very interested in November 4th. I really want to talk about what happens next, because I think we're all prone to complain about stuff right before we're about to go vote. And I think when we need to be holding the their feet to the fire, the DNC or whoever, the system is on November 4th, is when we're not in the middle of a campaign. Yeah. A, a huge key to that question actually lies out on the on the ticket, but not in the presidential election. Uh, in Congress, there's tons and tons. There's 23 Republicans in the Senate up for re-election. 23 Republicans up for re-election in the Senate. The The Democrats are in a, I think, four-person minority right now. So if you can swing, if you can steal a few Republican seats and uh, there's a there's more than just four that are considered toss-ups right now. Um, yeah, that's I mean, a big for that, me, that's <clears throat> a big game absolutely. changer too. You know, if the if the Republicans still hold the Senate, even if Biden gets elected, then uh, you know, the, at least the next two years, 
don't don't look very interesting. Um, if Trump wins, but uh, but the Democrats take control of the Senate and keep control of the House, I don't think much ma- you know much interesting is going to happen for a couple of years, at least four years. Well, boy, if I, you, you know, live, if you live in Kentucky, uh, vote out Mitch McConnell. Oh that my God! Please vote the single him most out. important. Like, I think there's an argument to be made that voting out Mitch McConnell is arguably more important than voting out Trump. Yeah, I think that argument would hold a lot of water. So, um, I think that's a huge, huge deal that does is it's not really getting a ton of consideration. Um, there's also seven Republican governors up for re-election and five Democrats. Um, I think both. Uh, there, I don't think that there's a lot of uh, third-party candidates in the con- congressional races, but right. um, the governor races are an interesting place where I think, you know, some of these other parties can get a foothold. Um, well, and potentially. If, you are, if you are frustrated like we are about the choice of presidential candidates, the good news is... There's a bunch of other progressive candidates on these ballots in down races. I mean, go go vote for your senator. Go vote for your congressperson. Go go vote for local judges. Like, go do some damn homework and figure out the people who are actually going to make a difference in your community and go vote for them. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm incredibly disappointed in the White House, but arguably the White House has far less um, Im- impact on my life than a local judge will. So, Well, or at that. least you're far less likely to interact directly with the White House than you are the local judge. I mean, I agree. I agree that um, local elections are absolutely crucial um, and, and, and arguably in a lot of ways more important, um, especially if you are, say, not very political, which I'm sure most of our listeners are not very political. Why are you listening to us? Um, well, you're also going to see on the news what happens in the White House every day, and it's going to piss you off. Right. It's true. For four years. Or maybe make you very happy for four years. Yeah. So that would be. here's the thing. Uh, it would be awesome if uh, we could fix the Electoral College. Anybody, anybody have any thoughts on that? Oh, so many. Um, well, not so much like the Electoral College. That's a little bit too narrow. Um, I want to restructure voting and in every aspect. Like, I want to re, I want to look again at how we cast our votes. I think that it's absurd that we are concerned about digital. Uh, voting digitally, I think it would be so unbelievably easy. Everyone is already matched on a one-to-one basis with a social security number. Um, you can take, you can print out and take screenshots, um, for your records. So, and you can, the, the, the election board can make it searchable. So you can go look up your vote based on your social security number and see what, how it was counted. Um, it, it, it's not hard. This is not rocket science. It's regular science, um, political science at best. I'm not opposed to that. I'm all for it. There's, but that's, that's like one, that's one aspect of voting that makes voting more accessible, easier for everyone. There's, there's a lot more though. Gerrymandering is a huge, huge problem. 
Democrats and Republicans <laughs> both do this. They're both good at it. Republicans are probably better. Not probably. Republicans are better. Way, way better. Insanely better. Republicans are really, really, really good at it, but Democrats are also very, very good at it. Um, don't sure. let the, don't let the Republicans, uh, excellence cloud the fact that this is going on in both directions. And in fact, in a lot of ways, it's kind of the push-pull, the sawing motion, if you will, uh, that is felling the tree of America. Yeah, absolutely. It has to be fixed. If you guys want to have a little bit of fun, uh, go look up, uh, Jim Jordan's district at some point. It is, a work of art. I hate that, man. Uh, Jim Jordan from Ohio. He represents my state, and boy, is he the worst. But again, the one I was talking about was the Electoral College, the thing that has given us the two worst presidents in U.S. history by neither of them winning the popular vote. So I would like to go ahead and take care of that. They were by far not the first presidents to get elected by the Electoral College and not the popular vote. But it's not um, common, though. It certainly hasn't been, like, it's far more common in the last 20 years than it has been uh, for... It has kind of eerily happened twice in about 20 years, but right. it's something that pretty much every generation experiences at least once. Back check, back check, back check. And welcome back to Fact Check. So I still think the Electoral College is dumb, but let's take a look at it, shall we? States with lots of land but not population, or states that at one point had larger populations of people that only count as three-fifths of a person, thought they should have a bigger say. Thus, the Electoral College was born. It gave southern states more seats in Congress and a third more electoral votes than if slaves had been ignored. There's a rule that every state gets at least three electoral votes to start with before distributing the rest of the votes by state based on population. So, there are many states that should have one or two electoral votes that end up with three or four instead. These votes don't come from nowhere, they're taken from states that have larger populations. So, Ohio, for example, by population should have 20 votes, but only has 18 because Iowa, or wherever, needs to get people to come grow corn for massive conglomerate farm companies. The Electoral College gives an unfair advantage to swing states, Ohio, Florida, Pennsylvania, and Virginia, because elections are winner-take-all, it forces a strategy on candidates where they ignore states with few electoral votes or where polling seems to have the state sewn up one way or the other. In 2016, 24 states didn't receive a single visit from either the Democratic or Republican candidate. George C. Edwards III wrote, For two centuries, supporters of the Electoral College have built their arguments on a series of faulty premises. The Electoral College is a gross violation of the cherished value of political equality. At the same time, it does not protect the interests of small states or racial minorities, nor does it serve as a bastion of federalism. Instead, the Electoral College distorts the presidential campaign so that candidates ignore most small states and many large ones and pay little attention to minorities. Anyway, let's get back to the show. Back check, back check, back check. So what I'm saying is we should probably do something about that because I was pissed about it in 2000 and I was pissed about it on, in 2016, but I will also say I didn't do anything about it on November 4th and so I don't think I get to complain about it too much. I do, however, get to say, hey, we should probably do something about that. Well, 
I think I think there's an important balance of states' powers. You know, there are states that are much less populous, but they are still states, and they still get a certain amount of vo- voting power in the electoral college. And I think that's for a reason. So they're not. So they don't get trampled over by the large. Yeah, the cities. reason is slavery. Um, I think. I think. Okay, so the because of the side of the aisle that you're sitting on, I think that that informs your, I guess, vitriol towards the electoral college just a little bit. Mm-hmm. I agree that it's probably not great, and we should probably look for something else. But we should be very sober when we are looking at trying to turn over something that was intentionally done in order to prevent states from losing well rights, states states from losing their again power. slavery but i i take your point absolutely well so slavery is kind of where it is where it came from for sure i mean that's very like pretty much explicitly stated the compromise was made to to give the slave states some power along with the three-fifths compromise which i is one of those like i think back to like what was it maybe middle school elementary school where we learned about the three-fifths compromise and and it seems to me that the way it was presented back then is like oh henry clay constructed this brilliant compromise mm-hmm. that slaves would be counted as three-fifths of a person I mean, it is, it's horrifying, right? I mean, it's, it's terrible. Like, holy Jesus Christ, why is that such a glorious, amazing, what a brilliant yeah. move? Well, I don't think wow, it was disgusting. Now, but the wild thing was, it was the North who wanted it. It wasn't the South who was like, give our people less of a vote. The South wanted their, their essentially property still to have a full vote so that they would have more representation. Yeah, well, they didn't want them to have a vote, but they wanted them to count towards, to count uh, towards representatives. Exactly. And so it was the North yeah. who ended up uh, proposing the three-fifths law, which is wild, like mind-blowing to me. Yeah. Um, it's just like, I just, you know, sometimes history sucks, man. I tend to think, and this is... This is part of my sort of like jump first and look later sort of attitude. But I tend to say f**k when it comes to the electoral college. But is there a good argument to be made? Because I'm certainly more than willing to hear it for why it's important for specific states, like for you to have a more heavily weighted vote because you come from a state that had plantations. You know, why? why is it more important... For you being from a small state, for your vote to count for more than my vote being from New York City or where, wherever, Boston. So it's not necessarily plantations. Like, Georgia is a pretty populous right. state. We're talking about the very unpopulated states. We're talking about your Montanas, your Utahs. Wyoming, you know, okay. Alaska. Yeah. Ne- even, well, Nevada actually kind of has a lot, but Arizona, New Mexico, Kansas, <laughs> Arkansas. This is the worst game show ever. I'm just saying, tell me tell me why it's more important Iowa. for their votes on a national level to count for more. Why, North why, and South Dakota. Why do their votes have a greater weight than votes in more populous areas? Because they're a state, because the state should have 
something. Yeah, they do. They have one vote per person. My point is that each person in each state gets one vote. And that, to me, is equal because you living on a farm or living in Alaska or living in Iowa, which is the most boring state I've ever driven through in my life, I don't think that vote should count for more than somebody who lives in a more populous city like Los Angeles or Boston or New York. So why, I ask again, are do those <laughs> do those vote count, votes count for more than like a vote from somebody in a larger city? It's it's a good question, and I think it's valid when it comes to national representation, representation at the national level in Congress and and in voting for the president. If those people did not receive a higher weighted vote, then they would be outvoted in a landslide every time. It might, you know, you might wonder, like, so what? Um, That's exactly what I'm wondering. Yeah. Um, But there's a huge part of America, and especially a very productive part of America that produces a ton of agriculture um, that, that is a huge driving force in the entire American economy, uh, that relies on them getting fair representation and getting fair. It's not just about, um, you know, having their vote for president counted. It's about them being, uh, getting people there who are going to fight for their interests, for, for the economics that help keep that baseline of America going. Um, if the, there's actually, so way back in the early 20th century, there was a big populist movement. They, the, the farmers actually, even, even late 19th century, the farmers had this big movement and they were right, like kind of lockstep with a lot of the unions, the wobblies and so on. Um, and they basically said, uh, because at the time, I think that the, the Electoral College, I guess we're going to have to fact check this now, but the Electoral College was kind of being challenged back then. And, and they said, well, we need to make sure that we have representation, people who are fighting for our interests to protect our ability to trade on the market and make a profit and keep our farms open. And if, if we don't have that, then America is going to starve. Fact check, fact check, fact check. And welcome back to Fact Check. Is it just me or are we doing a lot of these this episode? You're close, Andy. The People's Party was a late 19th century political party centered around a left-wing agrarian populist movement. Say that five times fast. They only lasted a few years and in 1896 they nominated William Jennings Bryan. That name might sound familiar because he was a famed orator and, oh yeah, the notorious bad guy in the Scopes Monkey Trial. The thing was, Brian was also the Democratic nominee at the time. It seems odd to me to split the vote amongst yourself, but hey. Each party chose different running mates, but it certainly presented a problem at the ballot. Brian ended up losing the election to William McKinley twice, I guess? The People's Party did a lot to gain support from big-time labor organizers and contemporary left-wing activists. The later progressive movement, featuring big names like Theodore Roosevelt, famous friend of Gutzen Borglum, shared similar ideals but decried the populists because of their anti-establishment tilt. 
In a speech to the 1892 Farmers Alliance Convention, Ignatius L. Donnelly stated, quote, We meet in the midst of a nation brought to the verge of moral, political, and material ruin. We seek to restore the government of the Republic to the hands of the plain people with whom it originated. Our doors are open to all points of the compass. The interests of rural and urban labor are the same. Their enemies are identical. This was an attempt by Donnelly on behalf of the People's Party to breach the gap between urban and rural voters. However, it didn't seem that the Electoral College was under attack at the time, even though it was certainly integral for the Populist Party's success. Anyway, let's get back to the show. Back check, back check, back check. The point is because they are they would otherwise get just steamrolled by the interests of people who live in cities. And if that's where you want, if you're driving all of the economic activity and you're driving all everyone to live in cities and stuff, they're going to just abandon the countryside and there won't be any farmers left. Farmers won't have any, any ability to produce and, and make profit for themselves and their families and, and grow their, their okay. li- livelihoods. Anyway. So, I mean, I have some stuff to say to that, but I want to give Pat a chance to respond too if he wants. Well, I think, I think that that dynamic changes when you bring in um, massive industrial farming. We don't have family farming on the same scale that we right. used to. Now, when you're talking about farming, you're talking about, you know, combines. You're talking about, you know, huge tracts of land that are being automated by machines she's beautiful she's rich she's got huge tracts of land so but i think that the point still remains and i think that that was pretty well put that if there's no equal representation for the people who are out on you know in the middle of nowhere out on the farms working then there's going to be no incentive to live there there's no there's going to be no reason for anyone to live there people are just okay. going to vacate that, those that's areas. actually especially when you start when you start bullying them with other states when you start using your voting power as a california as a new york as a texas and you start reducing the amount of say that they have in the democracy there's going to be even less reason to... Think about it, Nathan. Think about it kind of like this. Think about it sort of like UBI, except for voting. Um, Some states are underprivileged. Certain states being so sparsely populated, um, if if they were left to the same algorithm, think about it like, like, you know, wages. If a, a very sparsely populated state would be kind of like a person who earns say eight dollars an hour 40 hours a week and has rent it to you know whatever they can't make ends meet right so they need a little bit of subsidy okay so in order to to compete on the market right so here's here's my point about that i think the the point about making it so that people want to live there giving them maybe because they don't have equal say they have unequal say they have more say than they should based on their populations but i think the argument that 
giving them more representation in order to make people want to live there, that's valid. However, the point that giving them like better representation is going to like give them a better quality of life is clearly shit because it hasn't. It, they, like, the people who represent them don't represent them. They uh, represent giant conglomerates that have taken over their farms. Uh, over half of U.S. farms, I had to quote this in a previous episode, uh, about half of U.S. farms make under $10,000 a year. And I think what I said in that episode is, if you are a farmer who makes $10,000 a year or less off of your crops, you're not a farmer. You're like an accountant that does a little farming on the side. And their representation is clearly not served the purpose it was supposed to, so why? Well, because that that is a separate problem, though. That is a problem of money in politics and politicians being susceptible to lobbyists and campaign investments and things like that. Right, and targeting um, and targeting think, certain states that have an unequal share of power so that they can wield that power in a more effective way for less money to get on the ballot. So if you don't if you don't protect those states' rights, then those rights are going to continue to erode. And then you're going to have a federal government that cannot be challenged by the states anymore. Right. So that kind of representation for a place like Man- Montana gives them enough say that you know if there's something that the federal government is doing that enough states think is wrong that they have some kind of say in it. So I have a little bit of an issue with the slippery slope argument just because it doesn't it's a a bit of a logical fallacy so it's it's not a necessity that that the dominoes will fall essentially but I, I think they have the less representation than more right. legislation can be passed to erode those laws. Yeah. I don't think that that is a slippery slope. I think that that is a logical statement well, that they won't have the power anymore to stop a continued erosion of states' rights. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I do agree with the sentiment. Like I, like I was saying, I just um, I'm a little cautious about, you know, well, if this happens, then this will happen, then this will happen. That's that's. A, a it's dangerous waters log, like from a like hardcore logic sort of standpoint but i do agree with what you're saying that i think that that's a big problem that they would be faced with but nathan here here's you also asked something before you asked can you talk me into electoral college why why should we not just get rid of it and i have a different answer to that which is um i think one of the biggest or I think one of the easiest ways you can make the Electoral College a more fair system is by getting rid of the, the, the spoils policy. You know, where if, if say Trump wins Ohio, he gets all of Ohio. I think there's an argument for a proportional distribution of the Electoral College votes. And I think that that kind of, evens the scales out a lot where you don't need to scrap the entire entire electoral college system you just flex it a bit sure sure and i think we we had talked about in a previous episode about how we're all on board with some version of 
weighted voting, of ranked voting. Yeah, I love ranked choice voting. Right, and and when we started talking about gerrymandering and ranked choice voting and making third parties more viable, like I just had flashbacks to the episode that we did before, <laughs> and I, I am in favor of you know getting rid of gerrymandering and uh, you know election reform. Sure. And we should look at the Electoral College. I'm not saying that we can't. <laughs> I feel like it's the three of us are talking about the Electoral College, and all of us kind of know what it's about. Like, I'd like to revisit it, maybe not for a full episode, maybe a mini or something like that, after we've all, like, gotten a chance to look at it in a little more maybe, depth. Maybe as part of a, like, a, a civics and government series. No deal. I mean, maybe that that would probably work. That would probably be a good a good yeah. fit. I feel like that's a pretty good place for it. Anyway, um, I think yeah, I, I think look. we want to be wrapping up here soon. But is there anything else that you guys want to see at, changed on November fourth? Like my my thing is like, yeah, what can we do? Because the thing is, I'm riding with Biden. Like I'm hard riding with Biden. Biden Harris. I'm gonna get like a tattoo and a shirt and a hat. And I'm going to be like, have, I've already got the Biden sign in my yard and stuff. And then on November 4th, I'm going to hold their damn feet to the fire. And I think there's an argument to be made that voting for them will be a more effective use of your vote because they will be able to be persuaded to do the right thing. And a Trump presidency will never do that. I have um, a short list of other things, of other line items for me. One is I would very much like to see term limits for Congress. And I'm not necessarily saying that they need to be very short. Like I'm not, it's not like one or two. Like I would be fine with three terms for a Senator, 18 years. That's plenty of time to get in there and do some work and have longevity, but then move on. Man. And a six year term seems like an awful damn lot too. I mean, especially when some of them are Mitch McConnell. Yep. But anyway, I hope I, I was really sad to see what was his name, Gardner, lose out to Amy McGrath. But I am I am almost more ready to go. Like I would I would rather, even though I'm in Ohio, I would rather contribute to her campaign than Biden's. Yeah, absolutely. So I would love on November fourth. To not talk about politics anymore on this podcast. <laughs> that seems that would that be fantastic, unlikely. and that's really what I'm yeah. hoping for. Something else that's high on my wish list is protections for agency heads and inspectors generals. Inspectors general. Um, one of the things that Trump has been able to, and ambassadors and other uh, political appointees that are supposed to be kind of nonpartisan and, and in, in a position for a long period of time, they should be protected. He has fired innumerable inspectors general who were actively investigating him and his wrecking crew. And it's not okay. And even Republicans in the Senate have pushed back against it with him and have lashed out when, when he's done it and said it's gone, it's too far. You can't just fire that person because they're investigating you. And then he and William Barr do their little dance right. and everyone moves on to the next insane thing that he does. 
and forget all about it. But the thing is that that is a huge, huge, huge problem for, for, I mean, inspectors general are the watchdogs. They're the people and, and, and the agency heads of, of bureaus like the FBI or like, um, he just got one of the Supreme Court rulings gave him the power to fire the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau director, which is insane to me. And like, that's just not, how it should work those people there should there should be hoops that you have to jump through to fire these types of people that should be almost unjumpable unless there's like criminal you know like they do something as criminal as like kamala harris prosecuting it never mind um (laughs) no i i i digress anyway so i I hope I hope people can get fired up and care about this election and I hope that people can see that you know one of the options it you know maybe they're neither one is great but one of them is clearly right. terrible. I'm not the one who's fired up about that decision. I would encourage other people to you know if you aren't registered to vote go register to vote. If you feel like it go and canvas to get other people to register to vote talk to strangers say hey are you registered to vote let's register you right now i would love to be that passionate about this election Mm -hmm. i think i'm just i'm not yeah no but that's actually a perfect segue into my third and final thing that i like that november 4th starts for me which is which is getting getting out and getting involved and doing some canvassing and registering people to vote or helping um or you know if if someone feels so inclined running for local office check it out look and right. see what offices are, what what's coming up in 2 years and think about if maybe you have the time to commit to that position in your local community because that's where you can really make a big difference in in you and your friends and your neighbors lives the thing I would like to see is, so in addition to watchdog agencies that I would like to be separate, like I think when I would like it to not be a political decision to start an investigation on a politician breaking the law, because we've seen it over and over and over again. I would also, when there are rules in place, you can't do this, you can't do that. We need to have the second part of that because so often we don't, which is if you do this, this is the consequence. Because what we've seen is the Trump administration, and not just him, I mean, it's happened several times, but he's been the most brazen about it. The yeah, Trump administration, Obama was actually pretty n- notorious for it as well. I would love to see some examples of that. Uh, it, it well, is, you're going to get to do the fact check, so. Well, you're going to get to send me the information on the fact <laughs> check. Because my guess is I'll help uh, you with it. he wasn't in the same ballpark. Because I paid pretty, no, close attention, pretty close attention to that administration. And it's not the same. And I'm fine. No, it's not. I not just even think close. action should have consequences. And they don't right now, which is why Obama the Trump administration seemed... gets to do whatever they want. Obama seemed bad about that after like Clinton and Bush who were well Bush Clinton and Bush who were all pretty chill about it. Reagan was had fired a bunch of inspector general but he did it kind of all at once when he took office. Um right, then I don't have a problem Bush, with that like 
Choo- Bush like Clinton, choosing- Bush, and then Obama kind of fired a lot and replaced him with his dudes, but did it real low key. And it's not like they right, were investigating the, him and his of, people at yeah, the time. Yeah, the beginning of his administration, right? And then, yeah, uh, well, throughout, but but but, like, but the I'm thing is that they weren't in, that they weren't investigating him. Exactly. I have no problem with any president hiring and firing as they see fit. As long as that isn't going to interfere with an active investigation into that president himself. Exactly. That, that is breaking the exactly. law. So. Absolutely. Back check. Back check. Back check. And welcome back to Fact Check. 1981, Ronald Reagan removed all 15 then active inspectors general in the executive branch. He did so uniformly, and none of them were investigating him or his staff. Since then, presidents have generally refrained from exercising this power. Between 2000 and 2020, there has been one single IG fired by Barack Obama. At the time, there was speculation that it was related to an investigation he, Walpin, was conducting into misuse of federal grant funds. Trump, on the other hand, has fired five Inspectors General in 2020. It started with Michael Atkinson, the IG who handled the complaint about the Ukraine call that led to the president's impeachment. In April 2020, Glenn Fine, who headed the Pandemic Response Accountability Committee, was fired on April 6th. On May 1st, Trump fired Christy Grimm of Health and Human Services. She was fired days after publishing a report revealing hospital PPE shortages. Later in May, Mitch Beam of the Transportation Department got axed, although he remains as the deputy IG. And finally, Steve Linick of the State Department was fired by the president, the fourth in a six-week span. The firing drew ire from both sides of the aisle, and indeed both houses of Congress. Both houses' foreign affairs committees have announced investigations into the, quote, unsavory move. Mr. Linick was investigating Mike Pompeo and the administration, making this yet another instance of blatant retaliation on the part of the Trump administration. Anyway, Trump sucks. Let's get back to the show. Back check. Back check. Back check. Uh, anyway. So anyway. I feel like we should, like, revisit this in the future, but for now, I think that I would like to hear about some precious moments. Precious moments. So, uh, one of the things this week is that uh, President Trump's office was inquiring into Mount Rushmore about the possibility of getting Donald Trump added to Mount Rushmore. (laughs) And... I mean, maybe maybe I'm underestimating the political leanings of our listeners, but to me, that's that's pretty precious. Wow. And I love I love that comes because it shows like his narcissism perfectly. And it comes like a week after I think was it last week um, that I mentioned that he like told people that he was declining the Yankees invitation to throw oh, out the yeah. first pitch. And the Yankees said, yeah. "We never invited you." Like it's like right. Yeah, along I think the that, that precious moment's gonna that precious moment's gonna end up coming out after this one. So. Oh man, but so yeah. good. Oh, it's so beautiful. like I mean, it's a very rare breed of president that 
was chosen originally for Mount Rushmore. Now, I think there's some debate to be had there anyway. <laughs> yeah. Because you know, actually... some of them were slave owners, some of them had right. checkered history. But I actually you know, did whatever. some research some into them. this. And the way it was chosen is Mount Rushmore was originally supposed to be a smaller version of the Black Hills. They were literally going to carve a statue of the place that they were at into the side of the mountain. And they thought, you know, people aren't going to come here if we do that. So at the last minute, <laughs> the sculptor, who whose name I'll go ahead and look up and fact check right here, came in and decided that he was going to do four presidents instead. And the way those four presidents were chosen was the sculptor was like, nah, I like these guys. And that was it. That's well, how you get chosen to be on was... Mount Rushmore. It was originally I three. I don't think anybody. I don't think any modern president is getting added to Mount Rushmore. I just don't think that that's a thing that we're right. doing. But the the oh. audacity to think that that oh. should be Donald Trump, yeah, fantastic. I mean, that's pretty um, funny. Come on. I actually I thought that originally there were just three faces, and that the fourth one came later. We can. Uh, I will go ahead and do a fact check of all things Mount Rushmore. Right here. Most important fact check of the show. Including how the Lakota did and still do own the land and that it was stolen and continues every day to be stolen from them. And yeah, I'll just put that in the fact check. Fact check. Fact check. Fact check. And welcome back to fact check. So Mount Rushmore sucks for a bunch of reasons, but let's go ahead and list some, shall we? Go ahead and pull up a picture of it sometime. It looks larger than life, but those heads are only about 60 feet tall. And the rubble at the base of the monument is just debris that wasn't cleaned up after construction. It's literally just garbage. South Dakota was looking to develop a tourist trap and went through several options until they landed on a western-themed cowboy motif. They hired Gutzen Borglum, who said, F*** that and decided to sculpt our greatest presidents. George Washington, the first president. Thomas Jefferson, author of the Declaration of Independence. Abraham Lincoln, who freed the slaves. And Teddy Roosevelt for... Oh yeah, being friends with Gutzen Borglum. Originally, Borglum's plan was to craft the entire torsos of each president, along with the Hall of Records inside the heads of the presidents, where he thought the Constitution and Declaration of Independence would be stored, in spite of the fact that he hadn't notified anyone in the federal government, nor that a dank, damp cave might not be the best place to store incredibly important, fragile documents. In 1941, Borglum died, having only finished the heads of the project, and being out of money, both his workers and Congress decided that was good enough. In 1868, the U.S. signed a treaty that ensured peace on both sides and that gave the Black Hills to the Sioux. It's important to understand that the Black Hills, for many indigenous peoples, are sacred in a way that it's hard to culturally understand for a lot of Americans. For many, the Black Hills are the origin of both man and buffalo. There's literally a hole that you can go see that they believe Man came out of first, and then buffalo followed. A place of healing where the sick and dying would walk into and then walk out cured. Imagine that you believe, capital B, believe in the Bible, and think that it holds magic, sacred powers. 
Imagine there's only one Bible, and that Bible is a painting. And then imagine the person who'd killed many, many members of your family, had stolen everything you held dear, and ruined your way of life came along and gave you a piece of paper saying that you owned that painting, but then took the painting from you and painted Satan in the corner and hung it on their wall. I mean, that's a really bad analogy, but it's in the ballpark. The 1868 treaty lasted for six years until General Custer found gold. In 1980, the Supreme Court found the taking of the land illegal and awarded the Sioux Nation over $1 billion in compensation. The Sioux, who still own the land to this day, don't want compensation. They want their god land back. Money to pay them is still sitting in the U.S. Treasury to this day, but no effort has been made to return the land. Anyway, Mount Rushmore sucks in every conceivable way, and it makes me really sad. Let's get back to the show. Back check, back check, back check. For sure, for sure, for sure. Um, so I also have a, a Trump-related um, precious moment. Uh, um, he did this interview with uh, a reporter from Axios, I think. Um, I'm not terribly familiar with that news source, uh-huh. But they did this. He was doing this interview about coronavirus stuff. Is on HBO, right? He's doing this interview. He's sitting in this room, and um, he, they're they're getting into it because Trump doesn't understand how statistics work. Uh, he wants them to just do whatever he wants them to do, as per usual. Uh, and <laughs> the reporter is just like, like. Sh- the look on his face it's is so, it's priceless. A, it's a meme. Like he does not. Yeah, it's it. It is already a meme. It's fantastic. It's, the reporter's um, name is, by the way, Jonathan Swan, and he was excellent. There we go. So my precious moment, though, is that um, someone took that video of that uh, conversation and edited it. And spliced it up and chip chopped it and made a video instead of Trump arguing with himself. All clips from that interview. It's just that interview clips. Uh, and, and I'll have, you know, Nathan just splice probably, it in right here. I'll probably splice in a few seconds of the audio, but I really think you need to go watch yeah. the video. So that will, of course, be in the doobly-doo. What it says is when you have somebody that has it where there's a case, it will last. No, but you're not reporting it correctly. It is, it is maybe the funniest thing I have seen in a long time. That's awesome. Uh, it's so. I good. specifically went out of my way to find a non-Trump precious moment for this week, and I've been listening to. I might have mentioned this in a previous episode, but I absolutely love the music of Prince and the artist formerly known as Prince. And the person formerly known as the person formerly known as Prince. And I also love the Muppets, the original Muppets. And I found the the Muppets tried to do a show on the Disney Channel in the late 90s called Muppets Tonight. And it was fine. It was okay. Um, Kermit was there. And they had a bunch of new people. I think there was a cockroach. It's like a late night talk show Based on Muppets, right? That was the that was the idea. But like the normal Muppet show, it was like 
80% like what was happening backstage and then like 20% like the actual acts. And so they had Prince come on as a guest and they did a little sketch where he's sitting in the cafeteria and he's like trying to write some songs and they're like, you can't write a song about the cafeteria. And he wrote, writes a genuinely amazing song um, for this like mu- like Muppets Tonight appearance. It's fantastic. So I'm going to go ahead and splice in a little bit of that music because I don't think they're going to sue us for that. And I'll go ahead and put that video in the doobly-doo as well. But Prince is amazing. Yo, Seymour, hmm? what's on the menu? Well, we've got swordfish, eggs and coffee. Just pancakes, maple syrup, and jam. Yeah. I could write a song about that. might be weird i've never really got i never really got into prince well you're a monster oh he's great so i'm told um also uh if you're checking out internet videos this one's a throwback but if you haven't seen it uh i'm the juggernaut (laughs) it's spliced together uh dubs uh just like amateur dubs over the 90s x-men cartoon it's excellent. I, I think maybe a lot of our listeners might have already seen it, yeah. but if you haven't, it's a one gem. of my it's one of my favorites mwah. was um, Homestar Runner. Oh yeah, I used to love Homestar Runner. I love me some Strong Bad. Also excellent. Yay, internet. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I right. guess, guys, uh, while you're burninating the countryside until next week, um, <laughs> I really need to come up with a catchphrase. I hope that we give you something to think about this week. I'm the juggernaut. (laughs) Bye. Love you, bye. If, if it's Ted Cruz or Donald Trump, call me. I'm cruising with Cruz at that point. <laughs>